Could we stand to our feet in honor of God's word? Today is the uh, first day. We are, we're working on memorizing 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. We're going to do it in small chunks. Um, we've got the memory verses on the back giving tables. You just pick up a card. It's got this whole thing so you could actually carry it around and work on it during the week so that you can be kind of ahead of the game. But here we go. Here we go, Second Peter. We're going to do, uh, we're just going to do um, verses 1 through 3 today for memory. I'm gonna, I'll read the rest of it, but we're going to do this a couple times right now. <clears throat> okay, and unfortunately, we'll do this for the second. Seeing that, let's just, we're just going to have that off there. We're going to start with His divine power. Okay, yeah, you're going to say this with me. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now we do it again. Here we go. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Okay, let's just make the screen blank. Here we go. Make the screen blank. His divine power has granted everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Do you see that I, I, I messed up a little? See, this can happen to any of us. All right, let's do the whole thing now. Here we go. Back up there. You don't have to read with me this time. Here we go. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, his own glory and excellence, he has granted to us precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you are calling us to be the very best version of ourselves in you. Um, Give us ears to hear today. Come and speak however you want to speak today. We will give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is Transformed Lives Virtue. This is part three in the series. Week one, we did the, the promises. It was kind of an introduction to Second Peter and, and what, where this passage is heading. Last week was on the foundation that God has laid that we, we can only, you can only use his foundation, but we saw that God's building this masterpiece. Today is called Transformed Lives, Virtue. First, I want to define Virtue. The Greek word is arete. A R E T E. It means to be in harmony 
with God's moral character. Amos 3.3, God says this, how can two walk together unless they are in agreement? That God is filled with moral character, filled with moral excellence. The, the word in the NIV is his goodness. The word in the ESV, the English Standard Version, is virtue. That God is filled with virtue, with goodness. The NAS, moral excellence. To walk with God, we need to be in agreement with who he is. How can we walk with God if we're not in agreement with who he is? How many know that the Holy Spirit's first name is holy? This is who he is. If we're going to walk with God, then we have to embrace his virtue. We have to be in harmony with his moral excellence. Now, a second way to define virtue is it is God's virtue. It is the escape. It's our escape from the corruption of this world. I told you last week, I'm reading a book by Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy, and he tells in there the story of Leo Tolstoy. Um, and in his book, the, A Confession, he, ta- he tells about his drive for goodness as a boy was erased by his experience in society. He felt, a place he felt where people had to violate their consciences to survive. In the world, you have to twist, manipulate, tell white lies, tell full lies, do whatever you have to do to survive. You have to, you have to take care of business and it's a, it's a difficult world and so everything that you do can be justified because I need to survive and the real world is a hard place to be. And as your reward for survival, you get to engage in corruption. It says that corruption is in the world through lust. Now in high school, this is very unveiled. I remember when I was when I was in high school and you just you got through the week we I had a job and we, you had classes and but it was all about Friday night. It was all about we're going to get plastered on Friday night and we're going to be perverted, we're going to be twisted, we're going to do whatever we want, we're going to get we're going to be hung over on Saturday and we're going to tell all the wonderful stories on Monday of what happened Friday night how horrible it was Saturday morning and how we're going to do it again next Friday night. And the, 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 there's no joke that's too perverse. There's no experience that's shared that it is the corruption of this world. And it can be, when you're in high school, very unveiled. And but my, my, it's going to a whole nother level with the internet. Now corruption is just everywhere and everybody does it and everybody partakes in it, da-da-da-da-da. Well, as you grow older, you get more cultured and oftentimes more religious, so that darkness, that corruption has to go a little, it has to be hidden. And so, but it can oftentimes be the exact same thing, that I, I get through the week to indulge 
in short-term pleasure, in the lusts of this world, as my own reward. And that, that reward can be just getting crazy drunk. It can be um, indulging in pornography. And, or, or it can be all kinds of versions of darkness. I will, I will get as close to the world and, and look at images and, or, or in movies or whatever. But I have to feed... As my reward for surviving in a really hard world, I, I, get to, I get to comfort myself with darkness or corruption. And the more sophisticated you are, the more hidden that has to be because you have to look good on the outside. The corruption of this world. So Pastor Heckman used to tell us that one of his favorite authors was Louis L'Amour. Louis L'Amour is a Western writer. He wrote, uh, he told the stories of, West, of, of the Old West, 1860 to 1890. All of Louis L'Amour's books cover 1860, after the Civil War, before the Industrial Revolution in 1890. It's, it's the time when the West was wild. And... Uh, so I've started reading some Louis Lamar. <laughs> Here's the funny thing. The reason why these books are compelling is the main character is always this flawed guy. He's, he's been betrayed. He's had people die. Things have gone wrong. He's almost always a loner. But he is... He is virtuous. He is honorable. And it's always the contrast because he comes into these cities that, that are filled with corruption and filled with uh, gangsters that are holding the whole town. The mayor and the sheriff belong, are in their pocket and everybody is bowing down to them and everybody's afraid and everybody, everybody is living on pins and needles and corruption is running it. And this guy who comes into town, he is, he's never looking for, he's never a violent man. He always, he's a man of peace. Um, and he's honorable in every way. He's there, he usually believes in the good book and he's, he's a simple guy and, and he treats women right. And, but here's the thing. You can't bully him. You, he will not be bought and you can't bully him and he will not back down. It doesn't matter what the cost is. He's going to do the right thing. And when he sees other people being bullied and other people living in fear of their lives, he, he's going to stand against injustice even if it costs him his life. So I was reading one of these books and uh, he's going to face the, the gang and, it's, and the, the woman, there's always a, a woman that's cheering for him says, you know, you can't do that. It's too dangerous. And he says this. He says, there... Everybody has to die. Everybody will die sometime. And there are some things that are more important than staying alive. That's virtue. There are some things more important than your own survival. So Leo Tolstoy's story 
goes like this. He, so he, 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 he sees the corruption that's in the world. He writes books. He becomes overwhelmingly successful. And in his success, he only becomes more depressed by the futility and corruption of everything. But eventually, this is what drives him to Christ. And he said he embraced, quote, a new world of God where all that is good is preserved. I am free to do what's right, whatever it costs me, because I no longer have to survive. I have eternal life. This is virtue. Where we are freed by the gospel, we're freed by the corruption of this world that is just trying to survive and rewarding itself for surviving. And it, the gospel gives us eternal life. So we no longer have to survive. We know it's no longer all about me saving my own appearance, saving my own flesh, doing whatever I need. I can do, I'm free to do what's right. I'm free to walk with God because this world has nothing on me. This world could kill me and it doesn't matter. I'm going to live forever. The Bible says that Jesus defeated the one who held the world by the fear of death. The first, what is virtue? First, it's, it, it, it's to live in harmony with God's moral character. Secondly, it's the escape from the corruption of the world. Third, it's doing what's right, no matter what the cost is. And then fourth, it is the first floor of God's masterpiece. So I went last November, I went to India with Pastor Nick from High Point and we did four leadership seminars. Does anybody else hear God calling right now? <laughs> I've always wondered what his ringtone was. Um, and... Uh, and so we did the same seminar four times. So he's got all my sermons memorized, and I have all his memorized. And he had one on 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11, which is what inspired this series. High Point memorized that passage. We're memorizing it. Um, but here's what he said about this list. In, in 2 Peter 1, these list of virtues, are, of, of character traits that need to be ours and increasing. And if they are, we will, we will make our calling sure and we'll receive a rich welcome into heaven and we'll be fruitful in this life. Here, here's the thing about this list. He said it's different from the other lists in the New Testament. The other lists are interchangeable. Like the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are in no particular order. You could substitute them. One doesn't have to come first. The gifts of the, the Spirit, the, the word of wisdom, the word of, the word of knowledge, the, the gifts of healings, the prophetic tongues, those are just, all the gifts of the Spirit are listed and they're, they're just, they could easily be interchanged. They are just the gifts of the Spirit. But this list is different than that list, than those lists. Because it says to your faith, which is the foundation, you need to add or supply virtue, goodness, or moral excellence. And then to that, you need to add to that knowledge. 
And to your knowledge, you need to add self-control and to your self-control. And all of them are listed twice. They're all listed twice. Why? Because it's cumulative. You are building one upon another. And what we need to add to faith is virtue. This is God's first floor. You add the first thing that has to be added to faith is virtue, goodness, a commitment to doing what's right no matter what the cost. So that brings us to point two, and that is a question. Why is virtue the first floor of God's masterpiece? Foundation is Jesus. Foundation is what he did for us. But the first floor is virtue. Why? Until virtue is built... Our Christianity is at risk. Virtue is the first floor, not knowledge. Look at look at First Timothy one five through seven. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Paul says, listen, Christianity is supposed to make you good, not smart. The goal of our instruction is love, and love, which is the last thing Peter is going to give in the list, is God is making us lovers. Real love is very, very difficult in this world. What love actually looks like It takes a lot of strength. But the building starts with a clear conscience. Love actually springs out of the beginning of it is a clear conscience. It's being right with God. And he says, some have gone right from faith to knowledge. And they want to be teachers and they want to be right. And, and, and they're always in a fight and they're always trying to argue things. But he said, he said, this isn't what you add to your faith first. He says later in verse 20 that they have become shipwrecked in their faith because they have neglected a clean conscience. Christianity must make us good before it makes us smart. The goal is not being more right than everybody else. The goal is that God's love be manifest in weak human beings in this life. Faith without virtue is deception. 2 Peter 2, 18 through 22. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the beginning than they were at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs 
on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. The dog returns to his vomit and a sow washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. So Peter is addressing the false teachers. There's, a, there's false prophets and there's false teachers and here is their mark. He said they are still filled with greed. They're still filled with lust and they now have knowledge without virtue. And they're promoting a Christianity of knowledge without virtue and they're calling it freedom. We are free and you don't, you don't have to overcome the greed and the lust and the, the, the things of corruption that Christianity keeps you in your corruption. And the problem is, is there's a group of people that have laid the foundation of, of, of Christ and they've escaped the corruption, but they haven't built virtue yet. They haven't built virtue and so they're being affected and being taken back in there because this is a very appealing message to our ears. And, and they end up going back to it. If they've escaped the corruption, they really were saved, they escaped and now they go back into this and become convinced of this gospel of freedom that doesn't really change my heart. I can still be corrupt. He said it's worse for them at the end than at the beginning. It would have been better for them to not even have known the way of righteousness than to know it and then go back to corruption. Now, why would that be? How could it be better for somebody to have not known the escape, and then go back to it. Here's why. When you go back to corruption and you make your religion so that it allows for corruption, you're, you're now deceived. You, you were saved, but because you went back to corruption and changed your Christianity around so that it allowed for destruction, you're now deceived. And it's very hard to reach deceived people because they, they are filled with their, that sense of this is okay. This is okay. Paul says that we've had people that have, have shipwrecked their faith because they have a religion devoid of virtue. Now, why is this, Pastor Tom, why are you so excited about this today? This is what's going on in America today. Religion without virtue. Faith without virtue. Here's what James says. James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves, but be doers of the word. You can make a religion of hearing about Jesus and assume because you hear it and agree with it that you're a Christian. Jesus gave a warning about this. He said, many in that day are going to say, Lord, Lord, that won't make it. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You had a religion devoid of virtue. You built your house on the sand. You thought because you heard the word of God that that was good enough. But Jesus said, no, no, the solid rock is those who hear the word of God 
and do it and obey it. They're building their lives upon the rock. So in 2015, the, the, uh, the best picture, Academy Award, best picture was a, was a tragic, tragic movie called Spotlight. It was about the Catholic Church in Boston and these priests that were molesting little boys and, and, and it, when the corruption was discovered by those in authority, um, this is why the, all of the lawsuits, it wasn't actually because of the priests molesting little boys. The, 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 the reason for the lawsuits is, is that the authorities, when they saw it, they didn't want to be embarrassed by it, so they just moved the priests to other places. And the darkness multiplied and continued. And when the world sees that those who are most religious and have the most knowledge of God lack virtue, the virtue to, to do the right thing. It, it, causes, it causes something very bad to happen in the world. They come to the conclusion it can't, it can't be true. A religion that doesn't make us better can't be true. Paul, Paul talks about the charismatic church. He says, listen, you who love the power of God and have supernatural gifts and God speaks to you, he said, listen, those of you who speak in tongues, he said, listen, when you speak in the tongues of men and angels and you don't really love people, you're a sounding gong and a clanging single symbol. When, you, when you've got prophecy and you know all these things, but you aren't good, it creates tremendous confusion in the world. God is calling us to all examine our lives. Have we added virtue to the foundation of our faith? Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.5, that this is what it's going to look like in the last days. People are going to have a form of godliness, but they're going to deny the power, the power to make people virtuous. They're going to have religion without virtue. This is the hour that we live in. So I have been working on this message all week and early in the week um, I, I, I heard, a, or heard a sentence from, from the Lord. Here was the sentence. The jury is still out. The jury is still out. And I'm, I'm like, okay. I've been unpacking this all, all week long. What does it mean? The jury is still out. Well, we, of course, we know in the court of law, when the jury's out, it means that the fate of the accused has not been decided yet. We don't know if they're going to go free or if they're going to be imprisoned. Because the jury's still, the jury has to decide. And when the jury comes back, then the decision is made and that accused person either goes free or goes to prison. So who are, the, who, who are the players in this courtroom? 
Well, you've probably figured out who the accused is. That's you and I. And in our courtroom, it's not like the world, it's Christians. This is Christians. They are Christians. They've given their life to Christ. They, they, they've, they've laid that foundation that can only be laid by God. They believe the promises of God. And, and then, after becoming a Christian, you have blown it. You have sinned. And you're dragged into the court by the prosecutor, which is, is the devil. The Bible calls him in Revelation 12, 10, the accuser. The accuser. He accuses us day and night before the throne of God. So he's making a case to the, the judge. The judge is the father. The ju- the, the, you you, you want to see the you picture of this courtroom. You've got the prosecuting attorney that has dragged us in is, is Satan. And you've got the um, judge is the father and we are the accused. Well, it turns out like any attorney, Satan has got a lot of witnesses. He's got a lot of witnesses that we are still owned by corruption, that we who say that we're Christian are still corrupt. And, and he plays this out for the jury. Number, number one, here, here's our number one witness. They still have evil desires. If they, were, if they had been saved out of corruption, would you really have all of these evil desires? Second witness, evil actions. These aren't just evil desires. You've done stuff. You've done stuff that Christians don't do. Christians aren't supposed to do. You've looked at stuff Christians aren't supposed to look for. See, you're still corrupt. You're still held by corruption. This is your identity. And then, of course, there's other witnesses. They're human witnesses. They're your family and your friends, those who you've said you're a Christian and they've looked at your life and say, no, you're just like us. You're as held by corruption as us. In fact, you're probably worse than us because since you become a Christian, you're kind of self-righteous. But trust me, you're just like, you're no different than us. And And the voice of the accuser can be very, very, very strong. That's a strong case that we're still held by corruption. But we have a defense attorney. We have an advocate. Here's our advocate. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. This is, this is Christianity is not about we are, have permission to sin. No, no. We're, we are, we're called to virtuous lives. But if we do sin, we have an advocate. That's, that's a defense lawyer right there an advocate with the Father before the judge, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we have Jesus is coming to our defense. So we've got, we've got a judge, we've got a prosecuting attorney, we've got a defense attorney, and we have the accused, which is us. So the question is, is who's the jury? Because the prosecuting attorney doesn't decide whether you go free, and neither does the defense attorney, nor does the judge. The jury is the one that decides whether you go free. So who's the jury? And so I'm unpacking that this week. I'm like, Lord, who's the jury? 
you'll be very surprised who's on the jury. You're on the jury. You are the jury. You, you are the one that ultimately will decide what your identity is. You, you get to decide that. Mark 4, 17. It's the parable of the sower. Jesus is explaining the, the seed that was sown upon the rocks that sp- sprang up quickly and then dried up. And he said, this is those, the seed is sown in their hearts, but they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, they immediately fall away. So you're saved. You accepted Christ. But now trouble has come and persecution has come and sin has come and and now confusion reigns. And you have to make a decision. You decide your own fate. And it's funny what the question is. Here's the question for the jury. It's not, do you have what it takes to be a Christian? That is not the question. The question is this. Do you think Jesus has what it takes to make you a Christian? That's the question for the human race. Not, not, do you have what it takes? I'll guarantee you, you don't have what it takes to be a real Christian. To be a real Christian, you have to have the divine nature in you. You have to have God's Holy Spirit in you. you. You can, on your own, you have what it takes to be religious. To cover up really, really well what's going on. But to be a real Christian, it's going to, ta- it's going to take Jesus. You have to believe Jesus is able to actually make you a Christian. But you decide what your identity is going to be. You decide. The judge doesn't decide. The defense attorney doesn't decide. The prosecutor doesn't decide. The jury decides. And you are the jury. God God said it this way in Joshua. I lay before you life and death. Choose life. You have to make that choice. You have to decide. And these having no root in themselves. They didn't own their own decision. They didn't own their own choice of Jesus. So trouble comes and easily their identity is taken away. How does this work? We had a, I had a friend in one of the churches that I served in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change his name to Bob. I'm just going to call him Bob. It wasn't his real name. And he was the chairman of the board at an evangelical church in town. Um, he, owned a, he owned his own business in town. And he's just a respectable member of the community and of the church community. He's kind of like a model Christian. And then it was, it was discovered that he was stealing the church's money 
He was the church treasurer. He wasn't just chairman of the board. He was the treasurer. He was stealing the church, church's money to pay his own bills, to keep things going. And he justified this, of course, that I'll, I'll pay it back eventually, but he, he stole and, and he didn't, he didn't come out and admit it. We didn't get it because he admitted he was caught. And this thing was exposed to the whole community and one of our leaders in our community and head of a, an evangelical church is, is, has been caught and, um, and, and many, many people. And he, he was arrested. He was given house arrest so he could still work. And many, many said, you need to just pick up and get a new start somewhere else. You'll nev- this business will never thrive here. But you know what? He got to the bottom And he had a decision to make. He's still on the jury. Is that one act going to define me? Is that fear that that I gave into, that I succumbed to, that caused me to do this, is that going to define me? Is the shame of what I have done that has been exposed before me, is that who I am? Or is Jesus able to forgive me? And make me who he wants me to be. And no one else could. Everybody had suggestions for him. But he he decided that Jesus was going to get the last say in his life. I called the, uh, the pastor that's of our fellowship church this week to find out how this guy, he said, this guy is thriving. He said he's back on the church leadership. He said, he said that, that church embraced him and came alongside him. And he's back in church leadership. He said he now teaches, uh, this pastor told me, he now teaches at the ALC, the Alternative Learning Center, which is for kids that are struggling in the regular schools. And he now teaches there with his other business that is also thriving. And his life is being lived for Jesus And of course, it's a life that's not about this great guy, but about a great God who forgave him, who gave him a new beginning. And now what's he doing? He's giving new beginnings to other people who are broken. The jury is still out. Until you lay this first floor of virtue, your Christianity is at risk. Until you decide that you're going to agree with Jesus' ability to remove corruption from you, your, your Christianity is at risk. You're, you're vulnerable to going back and, and to falling back and to embracing deception and getting something else. The, the jury is still out. So here's what happened this morning. Have you ever heard of a hung jury? A hung jury is when the jury comes back, but they, they, haven't, they, they haven't had a clear verdict. See, in a criminal, a criminal case in the United States, you have to have a unanimous jury. And if the jury is divided, it's, it's called a hung jury. And in America, there, you get a retrial if the jury is hung. But here, here's the problem with a hung jury today. 
If you can't decide, you, you might say, how can, how could there possibly be a hung jury when there's only one person on the jury? Have you ever heard of a divided heart? Have you ever, if anybody's seen the Lord of the Rings, you know there's a good golem and a bad golem. And they talk to each other. This is, this is why Paul says, for this reason, for the reason that of all that God has done for us, of all the promises he's given, given according to his own glory and his own goodness, therefore, be diligent. That means this, be wholehearted. Make a choice. This is why Paul says in Romans 12, 1, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your lives as a living sacrifice. That means die. And still be alive. That means no longer live to survive. Live to die to yourself and to allow God's life to come in you. He says, in view of God's, therefore, in view of God's mercy. What is Paul referencing when he says in view of God's mercy? He's referencing 11 chapters of Romans where he declares man's sinfulness and God's love and God's mercy and God's sacrifice and everything God has done to make a success in pouring out of the Holy Spirit and everything God's done to, to show mercy, mercy, mercy. His heart is mercy. It says in Romans eleven thirty two, kind of bringing together all the first 11 chapters. It says this, so he's put everyone under disobedience. Everybody is guilty before holy God. So that he might show mercy to all. God has mercy for you. But you have to choose it. So here's where most people are. The jury is hung. They've come back and what is the decision? And and the decision is this. I don't know. Yeah, I kind of want to live for Jesus and I kind of want to live for myself and for this world and what I can get from this world. And I especially want to live for Jesus later on. (laughs) Right now I'm going to have fun, but I certainly want to, at some point, I like the offer and I like God's heart for me, but, but let me tell you something. Here's the danger of a hung jury. The devil wants to choose your identity and God won't. Let me say this again. When you are a hung jury, when in yourself you've got this war going on and you're just really not wholehearted about the Christianity thing, you kind of want it, maybe enough to say the prayer, but you're not all in. You haven't really chosen that my identity is going to be freedom in Christ. My identity is going to be what he's done for me. I'm going to walk in the spirit. I'm going to give myself wholeheartedly. And you're just kind of half and half. There's someone that will make that choice for you. The enemy's trying to steal your identity. He's trying to tell you you are corrupt. He's trying to tell you you are your worst sin. You are your worst thing. You, he's, he's, he's got that accusation over the whole human race. Human race, it's, it's, what's, it's called cynicism. There is no good. People are, at the end of the day, bad. And they're going to go bad. And they're going to, listen, that's not the whole story of the human race. The whole the human race, yeah, we're guilty. But we're also loved. And a savior has come and died. The enemy wants to give you your identity and only you can choose it. God won't choose it for you. 
Here's, what, here's, here's how we'll end today. Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And you guys have heard this verse almost every week because I usually use this applying it to lost people. I pull it out of its original context because I love the picture of Jesus knocking. But that, that scripture in its original context is not about, it's not about the world. It's about the church. It's about a church that the jury's still out on. It's the church at Laodicea. And the reason why the, the jury's still out is they, they are making some bad decisions. And their identity is not rooted yet. And Jesus is at the door knocking. And the reason why he's at the door knocking is he won't choose your identity for you. You have to do that. You have to have a firm enough root of faith not to say you're able to do it, but that he's able to do it in you. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm at the door. I'm knocking. I have got fire to refine you. I've got garments of righteousness to remove your shame. I've got ISAF so that you can see. I've died for this identity, but I will not force it. I will only call you to it. But he does say this, you're at risk. He says, you've become lukewarm. You've become half-hearted. You haven't made a choice. And right now, you are at risk of losing everything. And he says, be zealous and repent. Be wholehearted. Get the jury together and make a decision. So if the worship team would come, and could we stand to our feet? It's 10, it's 10 to 10 right now, so it's 10 minutes short. But here's how we're going to end today. Usually at the end of the service, we kind of we have the ministry teams, we turn the lights up and people start milling and chatting and doing whatever. Here's how we're going to end today. We're not going to bring the lights up. We're going to bring the lights down. No ministry teams. I want, could you just bow your head and close your eyes right now? I'm not going to ask for anybody to raise their hand. But I do want all of us to take a look. We live in a day of religious deception. And God doesn't want you or me to be deceived. And as the pastor here, I don't want any single one of you to be deceived in any way. God needs us to be all in, folks. Whatever corrupt thing you've done, whatever corrupt desire you've been hosting, that's not the story of your identity unless you, you make that the story of your identity. Because Jesus died on a cross and the Holy Spirit was poured out so that you could have a new identity in him. So that you could become everything God wants you to be so that you could become the best version of yourself. Trust me on this. The best version of yourself is you in Christ filled with the Holy Spirit. That's who God made you to be. So I'm just going to ask you the question, the sentence that God gave me this week. Is the jury still out for you? 
have you decided this is who you are and who you're going to be? Or is there a plan B? Is it, I'm going to have a little religion, enough religion to kind of get by, but I'm, gonna, I'm also going to keep this thing going. That's deception. That's deception. Don't do it. Please don't do it. Please let the fire of God break off deception. And today with your whole heart, say, God, I could never lay the foundation, Jesus. You laid that by your own grace, by your death on the cross. It is finished. You have laid a foundation of faith that is entirely gift and entirely grace. I could not work for it. But God, I want to build with you this first floor called virtue where I agree that I can't be bought. I can't be bullied. I am not for sale from friends that want me to go back, from desires that want me to go back, from lies that want me to go back. I'm I'm not for sale. I've given my life to Jesus and I'm all in. Though none go with me, I will follow. I am all in. The jury has come to a unanimous decision. I'm in. I'm in. If I die, that's fine. I've got eternal life. So, Father, would you do business with each one of us? Could we make our lives that living sacrifice in view of your wonderful, wonderful mercy and grace and love? And Jesus, we're so grateful to have an advocate. We're so grateful that you are standing for us and say, no, no, no. Yeah, they've sinned. Yeah, they've blown it. Yeah, they, yeah, but they're mine. Listen. They overcame him as the accuser by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony about that blood and by not loving their lives even unto death. They were off the market. I belong to Jesus. So what we're going to do, guys, is just make this sanctuary an altar. You can kneel where you are, sit where you are. You can come to the front and kneel. I'm going to be down here. Can we just let God secure us? It says if these, ver- if these qualities are yours and increasing, you're going to make your calling, sure. You're going to secure your Christianity. Can we do that today? And if you need to leave when it becomes 10 o'clock, um, certainly go get your kids. But I'm just going to ask you to slip out. And if we could just leave the whole sanctuary as a place of prayer and response to God. God bless you.